What's up and welcome to Sweathead with Mark Pollard. I don't know what you're going to be hearing today because there's a lot of noise. I'm in Sofia, Bulgaria. I'm going to take you on a walk from the St. Alexander Nevsky Cathedral, which is, I think, topped with gold. I think that's the thing in Bulgaria. There's a lot of gold stuff on the religious things here and a lot of cathedrals. You might hear some interesting noises because it's the end of, I think, year 12, the end of high school. And so for the past couple of days, people have been getting together in various places sometimes in schools but also this church seems to be a place where people are gathering and count, I think they count up to 12 or count down from 12 blow a lot of whistles drink a lot of vodka that's uh, kind of interesting and the, there's definitely a uniform that I'm seeing definitely a uniform with the kids uh, first of all the young men are quite big they're quite strong and muscular shaved heads everyone's wearing black a little bit of leather maybe some quilted leather or some quilted nylon mixed with some leather a hint of Adidas or Adidas, a little black and white stripe here and there on some sneakers. Uh, everyone's very dressed up and uh, it's interesting. A lot of people are going around in old black Mercedes or new Audis and BMWs and uh, I'm like, how, how do they have those things? Like, is that their parents or is there something that I don't understand? I do believe these things are much cheaper in Europe than in many other countries because many of these fancy cars are made not so far away, but uh, there's just a lot of them to be gathering around and uh, I have a feeling there's a correlation between the people. This is me being a little bit, uh, yeah, judgmental. I think there's a correlation between the uh, celebrations of school ending and the lack of educational attainment of the people celebrating. You said that, I didn't say that. It's just what I'm, they're just the vibes. They're just the vibes that I'm getting right now. I feel like we're basically in a nightclub. A lot of, lot, of, lot of Red Bull, a lot of vodka, cans of caffeinated drinks. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk from the Nevsky Cathedral, as I mentioned, down, I think it's called Vitoshka, one of the main streets in uh, Sofia, Bulgaria. I'm here for a conference called DigiTalk. I'm going to publish this immediately after I record it. It's a Wednesday. Uh, I'm doing a talk at DigiTalk on Thursday. It's a 30-minute talk. It's going to be fun. Uh, I've got a local marketer who I haven't met yet who's got a really interesting, I think, natural or organic food company. I'm going to start walking now, there's just a lot of traffic and cops and I don't want to get hit. Um, called Harmonica and, so, and um, we're putting a kiddies pool on the stage, this is the, the plan and I'm pretty sure thanks to lovely people at a, a little creative agency here called The Other Half that all of this is happening. Big thanks to the team at Other Half, at The Other Half for making this happen and apparently I was sponsored to come here by a company called Leno, a finance company, so that's interesting. We've got a whole bunch of talks coming up in Peru and Ecuador and also I believe Georgia, where there's also sponsors sponsoring these things because of the local organizers. I think we've got Pepsi involved, there's a bank in Georgia, all kinds of banks in South America, all kinds of things. It's really interesting. I hadn't pursued sponsorship before. Uh, I was just recording a video for our summer camp at the cathedral, trying to make the connection between the C words of religion and the C words of strategy. You'll see that video in the next week or two trying to get more comfortable doing video stuff. Definitely taking inspiration from a bunch of YouTubers that I follow. I'll name some names. I hope I get them all correct as well. There's this uh, Korean guy, Jimmy Kim. Deadly Jimmy, Jimmy Kim. He does some, he's quirky. He's a quirky guy. Lived a little bit in the US. Does a lot of food challenges. Uh, Doobie Dap. She's got like 3 million followers. I'm sure a lot of you know her. She's Korean. I follow a lot of South Korean stuff that's in the family. You know what I mean? As in my kids half Korean. 
Uh, and she, they've just her and her partner, I think he's Danish or Scandinavian, they've just launched a restaurant in Seoul, so it's been interesting to watch that. And then there's this Italian guy, I'm sure a lot of you would know, the young kids, Luis Sal. And he, he's a comedian, although he, he didn't, no offense, did some stand-up comedy in New York in English, not that funny. But he had a few breakthrough hits recently where he was reviewing croissants in Paris in the middle of the protest there. And also he did something about Napoli's food in Napoli, just surrounded, surrounded by tens and tens of thousands of Napoli supporters, the football club, who are doing awesome stuff. And it's funny because I'm going to Georgia later this year and one of their players is from Georgia. Is it Krovetskeria? Something like that. Apologies. Uh, incredible. We've been, me and my son have been following him for about a year now. Just amazing. This guy, I don't know. I don't say this easily. Could be the next Messi. Seems formidable. All right. So, Strategy Summer Camp, July 18. We've got about, is it eight teachers? We're going four Cs. You can find details at www.swahead.com. We'll give you more details about that later. But right now, I'm just trying to focus. I'm recording this in public. Doesn't seem like there are a lot of cameras and things going on as far as tourists go. So this could be a little bit strange for people watching. But hey, I don't live here, so it's all good. What I want to talk to you today about is the... Well, I've been talking, I've been interviewing... CSOs from some of the world's most effective advertising agencies. We published a report, What Strategists Want. The interviews that I've been doing are going to come out in June. We'll do it as a little series. Uh, was wh what we're trying to investigate is how the best agencies in the world think and behave. And uh, so far I've got about 15 things in mind. Some of them I'm kind of carrying over from research into behavioral economics and talent and leadership and coaching. Uh, a lot of it's stuff that these CSOs have talked about and some of it's just implied and I, I have this amazing feeling when I talk to people who's often the English is not their first language but who really get this stuff I just feel at home I just feel at home and I realized the highest performing advertising agency I was in was Leo Burnett in Sydney when I was in my late 20s I, I knew that place was good but I didn't realize how unusual it was until I left <laughs> and and all the things that you just take for granted like that you're supposed to try to do really good work all the time and bad work doesn't leave the building and if you don't do good work you probably Leo Burnett was not a scary place in Sydney but if you if you have a lack of good work for a long time you know you might not might not keep your job or that you'd be under threat but everyone's going to work expecting their work to be award worthy whether or not you personally think that awards are worthy of people's time I do I do and so what I'm going to do is as I walk through Vitoshka I hope I'm getting the names right and the pronunciation right. I'll talk to you a little bit about my observations from my interviews with the CSOs of some of the world's most effective advertising agencies. Big thanks to all the CSOs who said yes to me interviewing them and also to being part of our report, What Strategists Want From Work. You can, I don't know, Google that or I'll put the link in the show notes. So, I th I th look, I'll start with this. This is a little low energy maybe, a bit of a truism, maybe a self-fulfilling prophecy, but... The world's most effective ad agencies are set up for effectiveness. Duh, of course, what does that mean? Well, it means that they see creativity being incredibly important alongside data and measurement. And then their workflows are set up to put a lot of pressure on the work at all times. So just bad work doesn't leave the building, but there are lots of little moments. I'm not getting the sense that a lot of the agencies I'm speaking to have ridiculously formal and siloed processes it's more like you know talking to the team at gut who's blowing up right now in good ways that they'll get together 
they'll get a brief together, there'll be pressure on it. The brief will be three sentences, maybe there'll be one key sentence in it, and they'll all get together and go, is this good enough? Is it interesting enough? This is quite informal. And I, I think my experience has been that in agencies that are not used to this sort of stuff, two things happen. One is they're, in, well, three, they're infatuated with org charts, they're infatuated with process, and the powerful people refuse to put pressure on the work in useful ways because so much of the way they exert themselves in big companies in the US is to manage their quote-unquote optics and so everything feels political as opposed to yeah you know I want this team to succeed and I'm just going to give them a little bit of time here and there we're, in, we're appropriate get out of their way ask them a few gentle questions to push them but as a, as a group we know what we're all going to do okay so I would say that this might be a little low energy and a little bit obvious but the world's most effective ad agency is a setup for effectiveness. I think it's useful to think about that because it's so obvious, but not a lot of people do it. And if you look at some of the research coming out of Walk, something like 85% of advertising doesn't even cross the threshold to get people's attention. And that's a problem because the goal of advertising is to get into people's minds, into their memories, to establish and then refresh memory structures. And if you're not getting attention in the first place, then none of that's going to happen. So then I'll do like a TLDR. Oh gosh, now I'm just speaking by myself. And I don't know if that's a thing that people do here. All right, going through a park. It just got a little quieter. So I'm gonna run through 15 things, but I would summarize the key things in four things. Lots of things doing things to thing things. The first one's really, really important that the world's most effective ad agencies, they have a clear and compelling ambition. A lot of the network agencies have this, but not all the network agencies have offices that are firing on all cylinders. Often they have a couple of stars in the network. It could be, look, it could be Australia for one network. It could be Sweden for another. It could be Bombay, Mumbai for another, but they, most of the holding companies have stars in their network, but overall, they're not all stars, if that even makes sense. And, and that would be impossible to do anyway. It's just not how the world works. The big holding companies or the big, big agencies, I mean, McCann has Truth Well Told, for example. TBWA has disruption, zigging and zagging. There's lots of little philosophies out there. And one of the main questions I get asked when I'm training companies is like, how do we write a better creative brief? And I just find that I get that question, but it's, if I'm being honest, it's impossible to answer without understanding what you're trying to achieve as a company. What do you believe in? Are you trying to create brands uh, that go famous? Are you all about conversion? What's your philosophy? Because without that, I can't know how to help you and your team's not going to know how to improve things or how to work. Two, these high-performing companies, they're self-improving organisms and they put learning at the heart of them. Think about the best performing sports teams in the world, they're exactly like that. So Manchester City, Pep Guardiola, they're constantly analyzing what they do, like chess masters, and chess masters actually have different brains. Their brains are different, like British taxi drivers, but for different reasons. British taxi drivers, their brains are different because they have to memorize all the streets in London. So I should say London taxi drivers. Whereas chess players, they, Part of, part of being a chess player is you examine your game and the goal is to make no mistakes. As few mistakes as possible, as few blunders as possible. And that changes the brain. So pretty 
refreshing and again maybe a little obvious to hear that the agencies that are really high performers they're constantly trying to learn they're trying to teach each other they're reading case studies from other agencies they're trying to work out how to win awards a lot of them yeah cool yeah and there's there is another point of view out there which is a little cheeky which is if you want to win awards be good at entering and winning awards i think that's a little shallow a little convenient I'm now on a busy street, so might be a bit loud. I never know. I'm walking to the Hilton, where I'm staying for a few nights. Had a yeah, I had a great night actually last night out with the team from the other half and Rita, who came down from Poland, but is from the Ukraine. Not the Ukraine, sorry, from Ukraine. Uh, doing a little masterclass on Friday. I think we'll have, I don't know, 15 to 20 people there doing it at a, a venue called Hyperspace, which is in Central Sofia. The food is pretty cool, it's pretty interesting, a lot of meat, a lot of yeah, potatoes, tomato-based things, I think. It's just hearty, hearty. And just being out of New York, I'm immediately relaxed. Well, actually, I want to talk to you about that. <laughs> More relaxed. I think I'm, uh, my anxiety is just on all the time. And so even when I'm, I was filming videos just now for the summer camp, a little ad, and two things go through my mind. Dude, what are you doing in, ca- in front of camera? You should be good at this by now. You don't even practice. So I get that little voice in my head. And then the other voice is like, this is not even real work. You're not working. You're not working hard enough. Like yesterday I worked for six, seven hours. I had to talk my way through it. Had a lot to do. Got a lot coming up, but I don't know. I don't know if advertising did it to me or I was already wired like this. I think I was already wired like this bit high strong and in need of, of working as a way to calm myself. There is a thought in philosophy that work is a distraction from death, which I get. Although talking to the therapist, because a lot of the work I do, I try to think of it as creative work. There's also uh, another thought out there around libido and creativity, because I, I have this pattern. I've had it for a very long time where I almost look, I almost fall into a bit of a depression before I do something big and it can drag and drag and drag for months. I'll just feel real low energy, low vibes, it's a bit sad, maybe a bit angry, and then I'll ruminate. Eventually something will pop out. <laughs> it could be a book, it could be doing what I'm doing now. And the therapist goes, yeah, that's uh, Libidinol, how do you respond to that? Processing it. Alright, the third thing, I'm going to go through the list of 15, the top four. Number three is, everything and everyone is in service of doing something that's never been done before. Again, simple words, simple concept. Mediocrity is not going to leave the building, but also, we're not going to do things that have already been done. And Shamo Ramosh, from, who's at Gut, his whole thing is, if we don't need to call a lawyer, we don't have a good enough idea because if you need to call a lawyer, it means the idea hasn't been done before and we're a little bit scared. We're taking some risk here. Four, obviously, to enter the FEs, which is, it's, it's, see, the FEs aren't about strategists. Strategists often write the case studies. The FEs award well thought through work that's highly effective. And what's interesting about them, first of all, super rigorous to the point where we had some of my friends just to, enter these things at Leo Burnett and uh, 
I've actually never written one. I've written APG, an APG entry that won gold. But FE's, a big part of it is you have to prove that other things didn't contribute to your success or you have to account for other things such as discounting or increase in distribution, change of distribution channels, things like that, uh, affecting the success. And you, so what you're trying to do is prove the effectiveness of the advertising. Super interesting. All right, I'm walking past some old communist buildings now. That's my that's all I have to say. That's all I have to say. All right, so they're the top four things. I'm now going to go through the 15. I'll repeat the four. Okay, so number one of the 15 is they have a clear and compelling philosophy. Two, self-improving organisms with learning at their heart. And three, this is something I'll talk a little bit more about. Like I, I hear this phrase quite a lot because I game a little bit and I watch a bunch of YouTubers talk about it. But there's, there's this concept that I realize people close to my age aren't that familiar with. It's called the meta. And the way to think about the meta is games like Fortnite, Clash Royale, chess doesn't update, okay? But I've seen the, this phrase used with chess as well, or this concept used with chess. With something like Fortnite or Clash Royale, these games tend to have seasons, and when a new season starts, certain weapons are maybe more powerful, less powerful, weapons are added, deleted, characters are added or deleted, levels are changed. And so you can't just roll with the exact same approach. You know, if, if it's a one character game, for example, you can't just have really the same weapons and go to the same places and expect to win. Fortnite's trying to change it up for you to keep everyone stimulated. Clash Royale is a tower defense game, like chess. Chess is a tower defense game too. That zombies game, tower defense game. You know that one we were all playing like 10 years ago? Tower defense game. In the garden, zombies in the garden. I forgot what it's called. Clash Royale is a, a card defense game. So you have characters, but you have cards that you place down that attack the other king's tower. And those cards, the characters, their powers change characters are added and deleted and it seems like every few days or maybe every day people are trying to work out what the meta is so which combination of cards should I use and how should I use them and I've heard a lot of stories about people like even chief creative officers going to Cannes and really hungry to win awards and I know you can be cynical about that but people wanting to win awards and they come back to the office they get all the work up that won the awards at Cannes and they try to work out the meta the meta being what's generally speaking the best strategy taking into consideration everything we know right now we extract first principles from what we're observing and then we try to do that it's pretty common practice it's worth doing if you haven't done it already uh, if you're wanting to do it just from a strategy point of view then go through the APG creative award case studies for example break them down what's the meta how do they tell the story which is one thing and then two how does the strategy happen and how does it affect the work Okay, so working out the meta is really, really important and then extracting first principles. Four, they have high expectations. There's a bunch of research on this, how high expectations are really important in families and uh, especially for kids. I came across this research a few years ago, probably a decade ago. Whenever I say a few years ago, I have to remember the pandemic basically feels like 15 years. But there was research looking into kids in disadvantaged situations 
and they ran, they ran a test with two different classrooms. One of the classrooms for a year or two, I don't, I don't really know how long, I can't remember, was told about being better, being more gifted and having high expectations placed on them compared to the other classroom. And the class that had higher expectations placed on them and reinforced outperformed the other class. So high expectations are really, really important. I mean, you know, if you want to be the best, you've got to try to work with the best. But I'd say really with the, within the best culture for you. The fifth thing is, I feel like the work of a lot of these companies that are winning awards is pretty meaty. They don't agree to their work being highly disposable. Now I'm sure most agencies are going to have 20 to 40% of their work that is pretty disposable or just runs through the company. But the best really are very reluctant to allow that to happen because it can create a drag on culture. It can create pockets of dissatisfaction and those pockets of dissatisfaction can rust the other parts of the company that are, that are uh, more satisfied if you're not careful. Data, they all use data, but I feel most of, I feel like, I feel like most of the CSOs are like, yeah, we use data some in a really intense way, but we still demand that the strategists are creative as well. And there's also a sense that, you know, it's not about having a hundred slides of numbers, it's about using a few numbers to get to the point of view and then to tell the story with a few numbers, but they need to be lateral leaps along the way. Stuff that, if you're listening to this, you might even be granted. Why is that such a point? Well, I've just seen a lot of decks in the past 12 years since I've been in the USA. I'm like, what, what are all these numbers? And it's also interesting talking to people right now because I think a lot of other people, as in me and a lot of other people, we got a little bit disillusioned. We, I think we, a lot of us felt threatened a few years ago when programmatic became a thing, big data became a thing. And now I just feel like there's a correction. And so one of the headlines, one of the things that I talk to people about is when you look at the marketing effectiveness research, my point of view is advertising has never been more advertising. Number seven, strong creative leadership. Really, really important. If I just understand why and how agencies can run where there's, there's a CEO who's just about numbers and the creative leaders and strategy leaders are kind of juniorized. It's a bit of country music. I don't know if you can hear it. Alright, I've just arrived at Vitoshka. Should have double checked that that's the name. I'm pretty sure it is. Because otherwise, I'm just going to say it 20 times. I could have it wrong. Just as well, we only have about two Bulgarian podcast listeners. Yeah, strong creative leadership. Gut, I mentioned. And Shilma Raj came out of David, was, I think, co founder there. And Gut's blowing up right now. I say strong creative leadership has a business acumen. A strong creative leader is entrepreneurial. To me, a strong creative leader is the leader of the whole company, not just of a creative department. And often a public voice and face. You see Greg Hahn, who was CCO of BBDO, he's now at Mischief No Fixed Address. That's their thing, Mischief No Fixed Address. He's become more public since he left BBDO. Mojo Supermarket is also doing great work, and their CEO, CCO, is also very public from Pakistan, I believe. I DM'd him to interview him, but I didn't hear back. <laughs> Whenever that happens, it makes me feel like uh, I'm one of those LinkedIn DM people, but I don't DM people very often.
there was a little theme here that people in these agencies tend to be matched the clients based on suitability rather than just availability not a big point well you know what it is a big point if you're living through a crap experience or you've been lied to then it's like yeah I wish I had thought about this a little bit better I wish people had been more honest with me or I wish I'd been more forthcoming about what I wanted to do what I didn't want to do Eight, I jumped over, so I went to nine there. Eight, so I'm just crossing roads and there's uh, more people. It's Wednesday, more people than Monday. I did a 10 kilometer walk on Monday. And we got trams, all kinds of stuff. Food prices here are really I went crazy the other day and I spent $25 on a dinner at a, I've forgotten what it's called. I can't even pronounce it, a very long word. It's a tavern near Vitica. And the story is, is it uh, Dragan? I've forgotten the name. Majid Dragan. Why do I remember that? Because isn't Majid a good musician right now? A cool underground musician right now? But yeah, it's a house that a silk merchant owned. There are four parts to it and each part was designed according to a different part of Bulgaria. All right, number eight, I did skip over this. Strategy is a legitimate, mature part of the business. I feel like I make supporting points of this multiple times, so I will be repetitive and eventually redundant, but that's all good. In companies or in agencies where strategy just works, you don't have to second guess yourself all the time. You don't have to think about it. It just happens. You happen to be on projects. People put you on scopes. You don't have to be educating everybody about why they should hire on a particular project after they've hired you into the business I that in a PR firm it was not good to my sense of self and confidence and go home all the time wondering what the hell I was doing <laughs> alright we'll get to 10 now so I mean I touched on this if you're going to be winning awards it means that you're pursuing awards and recognition so number 10 is the top awarded agencies they obviously this they pursue awards and recognition and I think it's important I know a lot of people don't like awards, I know a lot of people will say, oh, it's not about us getting recognition, it's about us getting recognition for our clients. But awards are good for high expectations. When you win awards, there's a chance that you'll find more clients or attract more clients that want to do work like that. And it's also good for recruitment and talent retention. It's a status thing, right? And status is one of the three most important things according to an evolutionary psychologist. Access to mating opportunities, access to resources and status are basically the three things we tend to do most things for. Number 11. This is where I start to repeat the strategist thing. The research or interviews I was doing wasn't about strategists, it was about the agencies. But I did hear this theme that strategists have ownership, they're not in and out, they're not bouncing around. So they, they see things through from start to finish, they're involved in heavy ways and there may be light touch ways. And it takes a whole organism of people who understand the strategist to be able to make that work. And I feel like the, a lot of the companies knew it a strategy in the US who are infatuated with the org charts and processes. They treat strategy like a you know, general service provider. 
like IT. Can I have an insight? Can I have an upfront? That's crazy. It doesn't work. And you won't keep good people. You won't attract them, but you definitely won't keep them. And connected to that is number 12. There are many moments where pressure is applied to the quality of the thinking. So you will find that a lot of creative and strategy leaders have a few questions or phrases that they go to. You know, is it provocative enough? Is this interesting enough? Do we need to get a lawyer? And if you're in an environment where those things happen, take note. That's how you signal what the expectations are. That's how you signal what's important to the culture, what you're trying to achieve. And again, these, these moments of pressure, they're small. They don't have to be big and formal. Big and formal moments, too, those moments are too performative. People freeze. We get a little bit of fight and flight adrenaline, I believe. I, I, I believe as in, I think that's what the science would say, but definitely in, uh, I think groups of more than eight, the brain starts to get a bit fight or flight because there's just too much for it to digest. We're used to smaller groups of people. All right, so number 12, there are many moments where pressure is applied to the quality of the thinking. 13, I've said this one, strategists don't have to keep selling themselves in. 14, I've said this one too, mediocrity doesn't leave the building. And 15, because of all of the above, clients are self-selecting. These kinds of agencies, they attract clients who want all of the above. It's really important because I think for those of you launching your own freelance businesses or consultancies or agencies, your first few bits of work will potentially set you up for a few years. I was, I was trying to recall with better clarity when Droga 5 set up. I, I've heard different stories. We, we obviously saw a lot of their work, like the work they did with Mark Echo and the tagging of, uh, was it the president's airplane? The fake tagging of the airplane. They did a whole bunch of stuff like that. They got them a lot of notoriety. And then they attract people who think they want it. Obviously, when you bring someone in, you might find out that they don't want it. But you start off with people thinking that they want it. And then also when you compare what I just said, that dynamic, with your last few pieces, like your first few, if you're just starting, but your last few pieces of work will, def could, will, def will define your next few years, you add the research and observations by Clayton Christensen, rest in peace, from The Innovator's Dilemma, a book from the 1990s, where one of the things that I took out of the book is one of the reasons it's hard for businesses to change, and he looks at businesses like Kodak, IBM, but one of the reasons it's hard for them to change is because your existing clients or existing customers don't want you to, they, they buy you for what you were. So Kodak, you know, they'll buy, they're buying you for analog camera stuff. And so often what is recommended is creating some kind of skunk works or some kind of new team or new teams. Agencies struggle with this though because those teams, they have to be able to create their own subcultures and attract customers and clients that match those subcultures. Just like small businesses, most of them will fail. If they are successful, you then have to work out whether you spin it off, sell it, whether you fold it in as a department and maybe put those people in charge or whatever. Or, yeah, well, that's the other one. So, whether they subsume you, is that the word? Whether that, that smaller group of people takes over. So that's some of the thinking in the book, The Innovator's Dilemma. What else is going on? It is funny, like I've, I've, a few times this year or the past year or so, I've asked for questions on Instagram 
Before the pandemic, I used to get tens and tens and tens, and now it might be like five to ten. So, but it, which is weird because, sorry, I don't talk about this like this. It's kind of weird, but like, I reached twice, to, twice as many people, maybe more. So I don't know if I've burned you out or everyone's just tired of it or doesn't find it that interesting. I think podcasts are a little bit, uh, bit flat right now. There's a lot of media companies firing podcast teams or just media people firing media people, publishers that is, and, and social platforms. So let me leave it. Let me leave it there. I'm currently in the middle of Vitoshka. It's a beautiful little avenue heading down to the Hilton. If you're in Bulgaria and I see you this week and you happen to be listening to this, which would be very unusual, maybe one of you, that's the the Venn diagram of that features one of you, come say hello, looking forward to meeting you. I know we're gonna have people from Romania, Ukraine, Poland, all over this place. And then, uh, yeah, check out sweathead.com for all the things we've got coming up. We are moving to Harbray's masterclass. He's the CSO of MINAT, Middle East, North Africa and Turkey for Publicis to September where we're also putting Maria Van Buskirk who is head of comms planning for Media by Mother we decided to do a two week cohort on creative briefs and comms planning so that'll happen in in September and we're trying to work out things for 2024 it's it's one of those weird years where it's hard to work out what's working and what's not and why February or March I think was it February we had the industry advertising industry in the US had its biggest loss of jobs since the start of 2021 so that sort of interferes with the vibe out there a little bit. But uh, yeah, lots of good stuff happening. I hope you're doing okay out there. I'll see you on the internet or we'll see you in your ears again soon. Peace.